Welcome to the Second Generation Women podcast. I'm Van Anne, a second generation Vietnamese Australian, on my journey away from being the busy primary school teacher into a slower, more present version of myself. This podcast is here to help you rediscover what it is you want and to begin letting go of cultural pressure from the outside world. Yes, you'll question your identity, your life decisions, and begin trusting yourself to fully live with intention and connection. I'm so excited to be your host and walk you through this journey. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I've got two amazing guests, um, Isabella and Jeff from As I Am, and we have had multiple conversations now, but if you haven't listened to the episode that I did with them on their podcast, then go back and check that out. I'm going to leave that in the show notes for you to listen to after this episode. But today, um, I have a few questions for you guys. First, as an introduction, what's your background and what languages do you speak? So, well, thanks for having us on. It's always, as we were saying, like offline, it's always fun to be on the other side for once. Uh, you don't have to worry too much about steering the conversation or the questions. So uh, this is a great experience for us. Uh, for myself, um, I am predominantly Chinese, um, seven-eighths to be exact. My, my grandpa is half Thai. I was born in Thailand. Um, so that part I still not claim, but I feel like it's something that's quite interesting about our family history. So I always do bring it up. Uh, in terms of languages that I speak, uh, English, obviously, and then Mandarin and Cantonese as well. Um, I took Spanish for about a year. Uh, got actually not too bad at it when I was traveling throughout Latin America, and now I've just forgotten all of it. So just those three. Hi, I'm Isabella, the other half of As I Am. Um, my background is Vietnamese, and I speak, well, in terms of Asian languages, Vietnamese, um, but I recently have started learning Chinese, um, Chinese Mandarin in particular, and I've been speaking French for a long time as well. So yeah, it's been nice to grow up speaking Viet, and I'm sure Jess can attest to this too, just kind of that connection to culture, but we can dig into that later. But yeah, that's so awesome that you guys speak other languages as well. How did you come to learn those other languages? Um, just language acquisition at a young age, just like being immersed in the environment. If your family speak it, um, we actually talked about this on our recent episode around like parenting, but when you're a certain age as a young child, I think it's around like four to seven, your brain is a sponge for language. Um, and I grew up fortunate enough to have families that speak both Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, and I also watched a lot of Asian television uh, so during that time, it just like soaks into your brain. You don't have to go through that rigorous process of learning like grammar and, you know, intonation and like pronunciation, all that sort of stuff comes naturally to you because you just absorbed it. So fortunate enough in that sense, um, I'm not particularly gifted in learning languages. So it would have been pretty difficult for me to pick something up later in life. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I think it is really hard um, to pick up languages. But I, I love languages, though. Like, I think um, it's something that I find just so fascinating. And it's really just an insight into um, another culture's perspective. Um, so, yeah, similar to Jeff, lucky to have grown up speaking Vietnamese. Um, but I've been learning French since school, studied in Paris for a bit as well. Um, and most recently, I started learning Mandarin um, in 2020 during lockdowns. Um, and it's by far the most 
challenging language I've ever had to learn, but it's it's so interesting. And um, I don't know, I, I think I, I, I almost wonder whether or not my desire to learn these different languages is driven, I, I mean, of course, by genuine interest, but I guess this theme of overworking and feeling like I need to constantly push myself to do more things, um, which I'm sure you're an expert at, <laughs> Van Anne, in terms of learning how to navigate that and navigating those tensions between balancing your life with the need to always do more, 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 you know? Yeah, and that's a huge topic that I want to dive into today. So kind of beginning that topic, what was your experience growing up as, you know, a child of Asian parents or as students, as employees? How did you navigate all of that? Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a question that – I've been able to reflect on recently just because I've just gotten back from um, a kind of long period of time travel, well, relatively long period of time traveling in Europe, um, where I felt like for the one of the very few times in my life, quite free and I guess unburdened by a sense of responsibility, which I feel like has been something that has been instilled in me and something that I've internalized growing up as the eldest kid in you know an immigrant family. Um, and I think laid on top of that is also this gendered expectation of being a woman in an immigrant family from Asia um, where you kind of have that those quote-unquote duties to be you know the good daughter um, the sense of responsibility to take care of your parents or your family and you know I have a younger sister as well who is 14 Um, so I do feel like I need to be there for her especially for these formative years and you know that's not something I feel burdened with I mean Yes and no, but I don't see that as a negative thing. It's more just, you know, like, of course, I'll be there for my family. Of course, you know, like I'm going to be there. Um, But obviously at times, you know, when I was traveling, for example, like just in Europe just then, you know, it felt so freeing and it really felt like a time in my life where I could just not think about those expectations and not think about the responsibilities that I feel like I've instilled in myself. So in a way, I almost wondered, you know, how would I have, how would my life had been or how would my attitudes have changed around me if I didn't grow up feeling this sense of responsibility? Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jeff. I mean, I know you're a single only child, I should say, but um, Mm. do you get the sense of responsibility as, you know, the kid in your family? Oh, 100%, because realistically my parents are starting to get a bit old. Um, They're turning 60 next year. So you start to think about like, oh, what does the next 10 years look like? What does the next 20 years look like? Um, I start to think a lot about their financial situations. I think a lot about their health. Like this year, I've literally just muscled them into joining the gym and not to like lose weight or to get swole or anything, but literally just so you're doing some form of exercise, your muscles don't go into atrophy and you can continue to live some sort of good life into your 70s and your 80s, which I hope they, they live into. So yeah, as as the single child, um, a lot of that, well, all of it is going to fall onto me. And there is this expectation that I've also gotten from my grandparents where they're saying, like, you have to, like, constantly think about your parents and, and take care of them. And obviously, it's it almost it's almost like a habit, right? I have to constantly think about, you know, what, how my actions will influence them. Like, what am I doing to support them after that sort of transition period of where I am now, like, a primary caretaker of my parents. I feel like that role for me now has officially switched now that my parents have retired, they've stopped working. Uh, so yeah, there is that thing that I always have to think about. And it's a really interesting time right now because 
absolutely fucking hate my job. Mm. And it's this tough balance where I have to, I can't just quit and uphold and go do something that I really want to do because I have all these things I have to think about in the background. So yeah, quite topical at the moment. Uh, and definitely something that, that weighs on me a lot. Just on that, Jeff, um, do you, do your parents have an expectation that they would live with you at some point in their lives? As in like no. the older they get? Right. No. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No. Because I feel like um, that expectation can sometimes be very much a fact um, in, in many kind of Asian families. Yeah. Multi-generational households are mm. um, quite prevalent amongst Asian cultures. Um, my parents are, yeah, they're like, yeah, we don't want to live with you either. So, <laughs> uh <laughs> Thank God for that. But at the same time, it's like I wouldn't want to – I would never put them in a retirement home, yeah. any of that stuff. I would always want them to be at arm's length um, in one way or another. So, yeah, there is still that constant theme of like what are they going to do? Are they going to be okay? Like do they have enough to support themselves? Like what sort of contingency plans do I need to put in place now and constantly thinking about that. But living living together is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I've had conversations with my mom about the future and, and she would just say, when you guys buy a house, I'm just going to move in with you. Oh, <laughs> Like it is the expectation, right? Because who's going to take care of them when they're older besides their kids? And that's an expectation that we have placed on us. And what you touched on, Jeff, about being the caretaker, we kind of take on all these expectations from our grandparents and our parents to take care of our parents mm -hmm. and to make sure that everybody is, you know, thought about and you're kind of thinking about all the plans for the future for everyone. And that's one of the things that we all face. But, you know, unknowingly we do these things. And as you said, Isabella, sometimes it's not a burden. Sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of my family no mm -hmm. matter what. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that comes with the the other side of that experiencing that freedom and you're like wow imagine what life would be like yeah yeah for sure but of course like we realistically that's not something that happens for a lot of immigrant children mm. i'm just wondering yeah. how that plays out in the future for all of us like as you know if we decide to be parents one day like how would that look for you guys have you ever thought about that mm. Mm. No, it's probably <laughs> the easy answer. Um, I'm still, I'm still on the do I even have kids kind of framework. I thought you Again, said yes, Jeff. In our recently. last episode, we literally so, had a conversation on whether or not we want kids. Yeah, like, look, yeah, yes. Have. Like, look, I don't know. I, I wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fully definite. It was. It was a leaning towards. Uh, so yeah, it, that's. Not something that I've thought about too much. I, I look at the end of the day. I don't think like we are products of Western cultures as well, and uh, we have we still have those values instilled in us. I probably wouldn't place that same level of pressure on my yeah. kids to yeah. to uphold, you know, the, these particular values. I feel like there's obviously taking care of your parents is very important, but. Sometimes I feel like the expectation of how some Asian households want you to do it to, the extent to which they expect it, is a little bit, um, it can be detrimental to someone's mental health, to someone's personal situation. Mm -hmm. 
there's there's pros and cons to both methods, but I think for me personally, I wouldn't force that to to force it to the same extent, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's what I'm thinking. What do you think as well? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I don't feel as if like my parents force this pressure on me. I feel, if, if anything, I've internalized this pressure because I've seen the sacrifices they've made. You know, they've had to start from scratch, emigrating from a war-torn country to Australia. So it, in that context, you almost feel as if, oh, my God, like I need to do so much, you know, to repay that debt mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, whereas I, I, I don't imagine that our children, if we have them, would have the same kind of um, instilled pressures, if that makes sense, because, you know, the context Mm. that they would have if I become a parent is, you know, I've been very privileged to be born and raised in Australia. I mean, God forbid that there's no war, whatever, you know, there's no kind of um, drastic change in our lives. But, you know, I I don't know if it's necessarily the same context that would lead to these pressures. But, of course, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like, pressures would manifest itself in other ways, right? Um, but in any case, I agree with you, Jeff. I, I wouldn't want my child to feel that they needed to give back or, you know, this sense of burden, um, so to speak. Um, that mm. being said, I, I do feel like that respect for your elders and the expectation that you'll be there for your family and show up for your family is something that I would want to instill with my family. Um, just because, mm. you know, like, what, what's that saying? Like, blood runs, like, blood is thicker than water or something like that? Than water, yeah. Like, yeah, like, family's important, right? Um, so I'd want to carry on that um, sentiment. Just just on that phrase, I never quite understood it because it's like I know it's meant to say, oh, like family means more than like friends technically, but everyone's got blood, so <laughs> like who is, and we all have water. So that sorry tangent, <laughs> but that phrase made, never made any sense to me unless I'm missing something completely. Having the privilege to experience both cultures, like the Western culture, the Eastern culture, we kind of get to pick and choose, right? Mm. <laughs> like family to us doesn't just mean blood blood family or blood re- relatives, um, any sort of blood relation. But to us, we can pick and choose what's important from both cultures that we want to continue with. And so all those ideas of being a burden on your future kids or having that sense of responsibility as a child to take care of your parents and your family in general, we can veer away from that because we have grown up here. We have the independence. We know the language. We know how to use tech, (laughs) kind of, after all the tech issues we have recording these episodes. But we can take care of ourselves, essentially. And I don't know how that looks when we're older because that could be a completely different story. But we have a lot of control and we have a lot of knowledge about how the world works and we can adapt to what has happened in a different way without that trauma, hopefully, that our parents have had to go through. And and the idea of indebtedness that Isabella touched on as well, our future generations probably won't have that feeling as much as we do. And because of you know, the, the past and history of our families that they don't have to go through that. And so things will be different in the future. It's just we can decide how that looks for future generations. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about for the big topic for this podcast about your perceptions of time. 
Now, I thought this was really interesting because it kind of links into the ideas of overworking, about like work-life balance, burnout, about being able to rest and not like go, go, go all the time. Something that I've been going through lately, especially with wedding planning and working and just life in general, is that I've been saying this a lot, is that I don't have time to do all this stuff. And I feel like I'm always behind that things don't get done when they need to, unless it's a deadline. Like the other day, we had to submit our final numbers for the reception. And we did that literally the minute, the last minute. So that's kind of the the perception of time that I'm talking about. So I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? I'm someone that likes to do things to very specific time periods. And I like to set myself deadlines, whether they're super small ones, like I need to finish this in the next 15 minutes. I want to be done with exercise by this clock. I like working to these targets. If that doesn't work out, like I've sort of missed something, it starts to not, it starts to fuck around with my head because in a lot of ways I am quite a structured person. Uh, I can be pretty harsh on myself and not give myself enough rest or enough breaks uh, when I do pretty much all different things in my life. So yeah, I never feel like I don't have enough time, um, but the rigidity that I sort of force on myself uh, feels a little bit suffocating at times. Um, And I do wish I was a little bit more forgiving of myself. I'm the complete opposite. I do everything (laughs) last minute. My life can be, no, it's like chaotic, but chaotic good. Like there's structure, like there's organized chaos, right? Um, And if anything, I always feel like I'm running out of time. Like I'm always like, running late or like you know having to hustle to like get things done um and I actually think that's a product of perhaps my optimism I actually think I I don't I can't measure time accurately like I think like I can I I just delude myself into thinking like let's have an hour like an hour break or whatever I think I can squeeze in like 10 different things and really I can only do two things which is why I feel like I'm always running like always running out of steam because I try and fit everything in and it doesn't work out so I think I need to learn something out of your book Jeff you might you might need to learn something from mine just to like dial it down um because you know I I wish I feel like I had enough time but I actually feel like I don't have enough enough time um and to even take a more of like a bird eyes view on this like just even thinking of you know where I am in my life and how old I am you know like I'm you know in my 20s like I'm thinking about when I'd like to have kids I'm thinking about my career and if, if I'm honest, like it sometimes feels like I don't have um, like that much time to like, let's say have kids. Right. And then I think about, well, how would that fit with the trajectory where I want to go with my job and my career? And it's, it just feels like I'm running out of time, which I know is a really flawed concept because, you know, like time is so relative and there's no rush to do certain things. But I guess to an extent to have kids, for example, there is sort of this biological time clock that you need to factor in. Um, so it is hard, I think. It is hard to kind of juggle time, not on just like a micro perspective of, all right, I can only accomplish this amount of things and this amount of time, like I need to stop at that. But also thinking about, you know, the long-term perspective of, all right, well, how do I see myself? Where do I see myself in five years' time? Um, and like realistically, right, and like how do I fit it all in? So 
yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of hypotheticals, but it is has been on my mind recently just because I feel like this decade of being in your 20s, people are either like still traveling, still studying. Some people are very much getting married, having kids. Um, and I think that I think that really thwarts my perception of time. And I guess if I, you know, talk to my 14-year-old self, like her perception of time when she was in her 20s and when she thinks that all what I thought I would be having kids is completely different to the reality of where I am today, if that makes sense. It's so interesting how both of you are so different and the way you <laughs> you perceive time and just the way you operate is different. So this kind of p- provides two different perspectives on this, which is great. And I just realized that, Jeff, you're the first male uh, guest on this podcast. So. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about uh, you, Jeff. Were you always like that? You're always structured and you kind of like having those routines and specific time frames for everything you do? Yeah, I think so. Um, as Yeah, I, I had a similar experience where I, I've always set milestones for myself in life, like this age, I do this, this age, I do this, this age, I do this. Um, and I too remember a time because I took a gap year between finishing uni and went before I started work and it was just the most carefree thing ever. And it was, it was awesome. Um, and the older I get, the more I feel trapped in a prison of my own creation because I am meeting my milestones. And that's kind of, it's a little bit, it's freaking me out a little bit now because I'm like, I'm so stuck on this path that I've defined by myself that I I feel like I can't deviate from it anymore. It's like you've, it's like in a video game, you've, you've gone down and you've unlocked all these quests, right? And you're, you're making great progress, but it's like, am I actually on the right path? Um, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately with this whole employment situation. And I think t- the idea of being structured and, you know, meeting these times, it allows me to feel safe because I've essentially coordinated myself, coordinated myself in this like path that's, I'm not deviating from it. Like I feel like I'm on track, but the on trackness is starting to feel a little bit off for me. It's like I don't, I don't actually know if this is on track anymore. So, yeah, I'm having, I'm experiencing this tension right now with a methodology of, I guess, experiencing life that I've always followed. Um, so, I need to spend some time working out what to do about this. Just wondering what your goals are. That you're kind of, what kind of milestones do you have that you're following? Um, well, it's all the, it's all the classic ones, right? It was graduate uni, get a job, buy property, um, get married, go overseas and work, do all these other things, and then eventually buy a farm. (laughs) Like. I say that for you. (laughs) Yeah. And the buying a farm thing sort of came a bit later, and it's something that I actually truly want to do. Whereas all these other milestones previously, I am starting to question, are these my ideas or are these ideas that I think I've created for myself based on expectations? Uh, So, yeah, those are sort of like the key milestones. And now I like find myself constantly like 
I want to do a big career change. I want to do like masters in something else. Actually, I was looking up masters programs today and NYU has a masters of arts in, in food studies. And it looks perfect, right? It costs a hundred fucking US dollars, hundred thousand US dollars. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So it's, and the other thing is like the, having a mortgage thing and it's this i'm so fortunate enough to you know, have my own place and to build out a, a space that you know i personally enjoy being in but it's kind of suffocating in a lot of ways it's like i cannot pull away from this because i have a mountain of debt mm. um so that is another thing that's been you both me just mentioned bit. really interesting ideas of like in isabella you talked about how you kind of overestimate your sense of time, right? And then you kind of cram a lot of things in thinking that you'll be able to get all this stuff done. And then, Jesse, what you just said about, like, having all these all these milestones for yourself that, that kind of feel suffocating and that you're feeling trapped in your ideas of success, right? And all those things are linked to, like, our perceptions of what do we see as, you know, a big achievement in our life. And so that's why this is such an interesting topic because time is something that we see as, you know, it's going to run out eventually and we're going <laughs> to, we have limited time to do uni and then we have limited yeah. time to work and start a family and everything feels so confined into a short space and a short window of time yeah. that we have to squeeze everything in because we never know how much time we have. Mm. And so the culture, not just Eastern culture, but just wherever we live, especially such a fast-paced environment where we always just have to constantly be growing, evolving, doing something that if we if we just slow down and do nothing, it's kind of like, what am I doing with my life? Mm. 100%. Yeah, but equally, I don't know, I, I think I've been very much well-rested um, quite recently and I've, if anything, I feel like I've – I've taken so much pleasure and joy in just doing nothing. Like I, I think if anything, I, I think we need to do more of that, if I'm honest. Like I think we talked about this when you came on to our, um, to our podcast, um, Van Ann, but just the idea that, you know, rest shouldn't be radical. Um, it should be something that everyone should be able to enjoy. It shouldn't be a privilege. Um, so I actually feel like, you know, resting and taking that time for yourself is, is just as productive um, as accomplishing, you know, X, Y, Z in your life. Definitely is. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people feel guilty about that, myself included, where mm. you kind of have to jump from one thing to the next. Like I went straight from school into uni, straight into work, and then now I'm like, well, am I never going to have a break? Mm. Do I just have to keep working forever? Yeah. And yeah. then – that was a time when you kind of look forward to holidays. You're like, you book this long holiday and you're like, oh, that's the next thing I'm waiting for. But the thing is, yeah, holidays should just be like a little treat. It doesn't have to be like a big holiday. It could be a one day trip somewhere or like a few hours or even half an hour of doing something you enjoy. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Talking about the idea of like um, overworking, stress and burnout, has that led to you wanting to rest more to avoid oh God, yeah. going through all that? Hundred percent. So, um, so I just for context, I graduated from law school in August. Oh no, uh, yeah, uh, early August. Um, went for a month and a bit in Europe, back for a couple, uh, back for a month or so, then going to Asia um, for two months or so. And I don't start my grad role 
um, in my new job next year until February. And I keep saying to myself, oh, yeah, by the time I get there, I'll be ready to work. Because obviously now I'm in such a holiday mindset. It's been so great. And I keep telling myself that, oh, yeah, by the time February rolls around, I'll be ready, I'll be ready, I'll be ready. But I don't know if I will be, to be honest. I, I think I'm, I'm really enjoying, like, I'm really enjoying how much time I have off, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm, like, working part-time at my old job and, um, you know, doing, like, as I am on the side. And obviously there's things that keep me busy. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I can never get enough free time and get enough rest and to do things I genuinely enjoy doing. Like, I have time to read now you know read leisurely which is something that I used to do so much as a child um that I haven't done in years to be honest so it just it just feels so nice to do the little things again and feel like I have that time and that space to do that um which I worry that I'll forsake or I'll need to forsake once I start full-time work but you know I'm speaking as a student um who hasn't really entered full-time work um so I, I imagine Jeff would have better insights into um how he manages this <laughs> yeah i um i don't remember the last time i had like a free-ish schedule it's been a few years i think um i don't know i feel like uh wrongly so i probably take a lot of pride in the fact that i am a busy person and i do a lot of things and I, it always comes to bite me back in the ass at some point point. Uh, and lately I've, I've been sort of working on a theory that the only reason I spread myself so thin doing lots of different things is because I'm not actually doing the thing I want to do. Mm. Um, and my theory is that if one day I decided to actually do something that I would truly, truly enjoyed as work, I actually wouldn't spread myself so thin anymore. I would just spend the time doing this one thing because I don't need the distractions of whatever other extracurricular things that, um, I'm doing on the side. Uh, so at the moment, yeah, I don't give myself too much rest. A lot, a lot of time on the weekends. Um, at the moment, the thing I sort of give up more is just social things. Mm. Um, I'd much rather stay at home on the weekends and do something that's a little bit more quote unquote productive um, than go to some random house party, for example. <laughs> So that's the current trade-off I'm making. These trade-offs tend to change depending on what time of the year it is, how I'm feeling. Uh, but at the moment, like I do like I do need to give myself like small breaks on the weekends where I can go do something that I want to do. Uh, but during the week and all that sort of stuff, it's usually yeah, there's not much time. Yeah, you said something that I really resonate with. Something that I used to do, and sometimes I still do this, that I pride myself in being a busy person as well. Like I, I used to love looking at my to-do list and I feel so productive at the end of the day, mm. but not when I don't get it done. But when I see the list of things that people need me for or you know, I need to do something to help someone else, you know, I think it's part of the people-pleasing. But mm. the idea that the more busy you are, the more accomplished you are. So I used to work 60-hour weeks. I used to... On top of that, go out with your friends, visit family, do a lot of stuff, go to the gym. And I used to be like, wow, I did so much. You go to bed and you're like knocked out. Mm. <laughs> and I used to love that life. And, you know, it took burnout, took a couple years of like just crashing constantly to realize that, nah, can't do this. This is not sustainable. And 
of course, the big shock that came was, you know, like health issues and things like that. It's kind of like, this is the big moment that I need to make some changes in my life. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people do love being busy. Like mm. I, even my friends, when I ask them like, oh, how, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. Like, yeah, I've just been busy. Like that's a go-to response. And I used to say that myself and now I hate myself for saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because being busy doesn't mean anything. And no. as you said, Jeff, that you could be busy doing things, but then it's not fulfilling. It's not something that you truly want to do. Mm. And so this is a period of exploration for you. And this is when you're going to realize some really important things going forward. Like, how do you want to live your life? Because like these ideas of time and having not enough time for everything, this shouldn't be how we're living, right? Mm. Mm. It really, It really is not enough time to be spending it doing something that you're not super into. I understand the the value of, I guess, investing uh, time in doing something so that it pays off later. You're making an investment. So, for example, I think a lot of people, especially, I guess, for Isabella and I who go into corporate spaces, you do consulting, you do investment banking, you become a lawyer for a few years to build up that skill set and that resume so that you can take it and do something else. I I don't know if this is brainwashing. I do believe in that time investment in the beginning to build up that skill set that will pay off later on. Uh, but at the same time, I don't necessarily believe in or anymore in having to grind that out past the point where you just like you're, you're, you're a mess. Like yeah. I don't believe in grinding this out until – your burnt out mess that can't do anything else in their lives. Like they're, I think everyone hits a point doing careers like this where you know you need to exit. Um, and I do strongly believe in taking that exit before it really does take a toll on you. Mm. Yeah. And I think COVID has really helped um, oh, this paradigm shift really. of, you know, not having, not, I, mean, I guess, realizing that you know life isn't really about work and there are obviously so many aspects to to you and your identity beyond just work so mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know I, I mean hopefully we transition more into the four-day work week and you know genuine genuine attempts oh, please. To really, honestly right genuine attempts to really segregate life from work um because yeah at the end of the day like we don't get out of this alive you know so you might as well enjoy <laughs> Your yeah. life and the no matter what you, you do. do, no matter what you do, you know. So, um, yeah, you want to might as well make the most of it. The idea of building things for the future, yeah, because like where you have to prepare for things for the future, right? And so we do so much to for that, like going to uni and building up our skills and our resume, so that we can have a successful future. But at the same time, it's like we're working, we're working so hard for this future that we're not enjoying what we're doing right now. Mm. And this is something that I went through a lot of um, in the recent years. And yeah, it took COVID for me to realize that I kind of feel bad saying this sometimes, but I kind of enjoyed that quiet lockdown time. Oh, I love lockdown. Lockdown Yeah, you weren't allowed to do anything. And I'm like, great, don't invite me out. Like, (laughs) I love seeing my friends, but at the same time, like, this is great. For the times when I just want to sit at home, think, do my own thing. No one needs me because I can't physically go out. But I love that time. And sometimes we want to do more of that. 
But when someone invites you out and you're like, oh, fine, I'll have, I'll go out, you know, and you feel obligated to do a lot of things that sometimes you don't want to do just because you don't feel like it. Mm. And to a lot of people, that's not a good enough excuse. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah, for sure. It's very true. And you feel guilty. Yeah. (laughs) And for the limited time you have, you're like, I want to spend my time with my family. I want to go to the gym. I want to see my friends. I want to travel. There are so many things on our list that we want to do and of course not all of that is every single day but even when you look at your calendar on a regular day you're like oh my gosh so much is happening so how are you working on making time for yourself during you know the week I'm assuming that I'll be working full-time but you know I guess how I managed um uni and uh my work and as I am I I think I dedicated certain nights where it was absolutely you know no work could be done like there were kind of me times um so they'd be like Friday nights were kind of sacred Sunday nights were kind of sacred um me time encompassing you know just things that I wanted to do whether that was going out spending time with my partner spending time with my family just time and space where I could just do whatever I wanted and I didn't feel the need to work um so I think just having and setting that commitment um, to make that time for yourself. But obviously it's easier said than done, right? Like something comes up, something comes up. Um, but otherwise, you know. So I what do you do in that case when something comes up? Well, if it's urgent, like you just got to, right? But, I mean, I, I try and say no, but, again, it is difficult when, you know, I'm a bit of a people pleaser, so it's hard for me to say no. But I guess I'm trying to cultivate um that attitude at least um but yeah I don't know it it is hard though like it's definitely not easy but it's something I've learned to really um make quite sacred I'm very similar I Friday nights are pretty sacred for me uh during the work week if I've the, the easiest thing you can do is just block out your calendar just block out chunks whether that's for breaks for lunch uh or if you just don't want to talk to people great hack for um people at home is if you create a team's invite uh and just invite yourself and just put yourself on a call and you can even share your own screen people will just think you're constantly busy all day so you want to spend that time actually getting work done and not getting stuck at meetings it's a very easy and productive way uh to save yourself from a mountain of meetings so it's just stuff like that i think you just need to block out time specifically especially if you are i guess quite religious about your calendar um, then actually physically putting those stops in uh, are just really helpful because they're they're scheduled they're coming up they're like they're part of the they're part of the performance of your week so it's good to put those in and actually give yourself a set amount of time to have a break yeah that sounds like great hacks (laughs) yeah (laughs) i hope no one from work is listening to this (laughs) So one final question, how will you find more time for yourself in the next couple of months? What are you going to do? Well, I'm lucky because I'll be traveling. Um, So I think, you know, I have the privilege of using that time to travel, um, which, you know, obviously is a luxury, but I I think I caveat that by saying I almost feel a little bit anxious that this is kind of the last it will be one of the last moments in my life where I think I'll have long periods of time where I can just travel or do whatever I want. So I'm excited to have that time and that break. Um, but equally knowing that it's limited scares me a little bit. Um, but I think I just need to maintain that perspective that, um, you know, I can still always travel. I can still always make that time for myself. 
um, if I commit to it. Yeah, as long as you're intentional about it, yeah, you can organize your time however you want. Yeah. Yeah, I think I need a holiday. Um, it's been a while. <laughs> I think I think I need a holiday, so I'll probably take one early-ish next year. Hmm. I'm still undecided, but um, yeah, that's probably the main thing I need to give myself. Um, and also, there was a great guide that came out. It was like how to take 57 days of leave with like 20 days of annual yeah. leave um, wow. in 2022, 2023. Uh, I will be making very good use of that. <laughs> so um, if people want to, I think it's on, it's an Instagram page called like Aussie Corporate and they've list out a guide. Um, so for anyone listening and you have a bunch of leave that you want to invest wisely, uh, go check out that Instagram page. <laughs> Great content. That is amazing. I'll leave your links in the show notes for the audience to check out after this episode. Go back and listen to our episode together on As I Am podcast if you haven't already. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's time for you to stop mindlessly hustling and following what everyone else is doing. Ultimately, you're putting what you really want to do last thinking I'll get to it when work finally slows down but it never really happens does it sign up for the free get your time back challenge it's linked in the show notes hope to see you there